welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast with me, Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. Speaking of giant to-do lists, this month on the blog, we are talking about emotional labor and mental load, or in other words, what it feels like for so many women when all of the details of the family's life are bouncing around in your brain and you've got to keep all these details straight or everything is going to fall apart. And that's what so many of us feel is this constant load of all these little decisions we have to make, all these details we have to remember as if everything rests on our shoulders. And that doesn't mean that our husbands aren't stressed and it doesn't mean that our husbands don't work hard as well. But often the problem is that women own so much of the household, whether it's supervising homework or figuring out what housework needs to be done or keeping track of parents' anniversaries and birthday cards and birthday parties that it just becomes overwhelming. And so we're looking at how we can put out put words to what we're feeling and how we can sort this out in our marriage so that it becomes an issue that we can unite around and that we can feel like partners around instead of something where it's a constant source of tension. So last week we started talking about this and we had a ton of people email us and comment that finally they were able to put words to what they've been feeling and that's been really freeing and we did our podcast last week on what emotional labor and mental load is if you haven't listened to it um, please listen to that episode we will put links in the podcast description that goes along with this podcast and in the post that goes along with this podcast please check out the post because there's always really cool stuff there Um, extras and rabbit trails that you can take around the blog because there's so much on my blog so what we're going to do this week is Rebecca and Connor are going to jump on the podcast in just a minute and talk about how we can figure out what standards are for housework because that's the that's the pushback that we got a lot last week. The reason men don't step up is because women have ridiculous standards. This is something Rebecca and Connor have dealt with and they handle this really well. They've talked about it before on the podcast so they're going to talk about that today too and then I'm going to jump back in and I am going to answer some reader questions. So here I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca and Connor. It's Rebecca and Connor here. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, and we're going to be talking about minimum community standards. We've been talking about the mental load and emotional labor issue all month and we're going to keep talking about it because this is a big issue that we get emailed about all the time. Now, when we talk about mental load and emotional labor, something we hear a lot is, well, she's just a perfectionist, mm-hmm. right? And we hear this a lot from guys, and I am, I am going to say that. We hear from women, too, but a lot of times it's, well, she just has too high standards, and oh, well, she's just being ridiculous, and... Anything I do isn't good enough for her, so why should I bother? Because her standards are ridiculous. Exactly, that kind of thing. And so in order to address this issue, because sometimes she honestly does have too high standards. Yeah. Sometimes there is a bit of this controlling tendency or a bit perfectionism, and so we need to address that. But sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes your spouse's standards can just be too low. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, you might be willing to be in a bathroom where there is urine crusted to the sides of the toilet. But that does not mean that it is then inappropriate for your spouse to say, I would prefer to not be in a urine encrusted bathroom. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about these minimum community standards. Because we've talked a lot in the podcast about how we in our marriage have had to figure out all this housework stuff for two reasons. First of all, because like neither of us are particularly good homemakers, naturally. No. We're both kind of messy. 
But yeah. the other thing is, of course, just have the normal dynamics of wife-husband, which often come into play when it comes to mental load. And I feel like we're, we're still working through stuff, but we're doing a lot better than we were when we first got married. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. especially, and we found that even, like, having our little baby join the family, obviously through a wrench and everything, but I feel like we're, you know, pivoting pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so... We wanted to talk about how we kind of figure out what the minimum community standards are. Yeah, because once you find those minimum community standards for your own personal community, it makes it a lot easier for both of you to be on the same page and to make sure that things are being done to an acceptable standard, uh, but not being done to too high of a standard or too low of a standard. It keeps that good middle ground. And so I think a couple of important things to keep in mind are, of course, safety. Mm -hmm. You know, like when it comes to, for example, doing the dishes or anything related to cleaning, certainly at the very minimum, things should be safe. They should not be hazardously dirty. You yes, know, if, TLC if should not be able to walk into your house and make a new TV hit show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just... <laughs> yeah, if, if you're washing the dishes, the absolute minimum is that you should be able to eat off of those dishes afterwards. That should be a no-brainer. Yeah, and that also means that you have to be willing to listen to your spouse's safety tips. Like, okay, here's yeah. one that I did badly. Okay, ready? This is one that I did badly, because usually it's yeah. not the wife who has <laughs> the lower standards. So here we go. I did not... Okay, and I apologize already to my parents because this is, they're going to be like, I educated you better than this. But okay, I didn't understand that there is a difference between antibacterial and just regular soap. Yeah. So <laughs> when it came to washing the dishes, often I would walk by and I would see the dishes in the drying rack just covered in soap suds. And I thought that because it was soap, it was clean. And so I didn't realize you had to rinse dishes. Yeah. Or else you'd still have like all the grime on it. And so I thought that because it was an antibacterial soap, it meant that, oh, well, it's just totally fine and safe and it's totally good. And Connor's like, I don't want to eat soap. And so <laughs> that was something where I had to learn, oh, I need to rinse these. Yeah. Like, and this yeah. was like a year into marriage. Like, I was embarrassingly, I, I was 21. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I mean, to be fair, had I been more involved in that point with the dish doing, uh, I probably should have caught it sooner. That's true. That's <laughs> a good point, too. But another one, you know, things like if you if you don't do dishes in the dishwasher, for instance, making sure that you do all the stuff with the raw meat last and you do the mm -hmm. baby bottles first. Like, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's those kinds of community standards that are based on safety. Okay. Yeah. Then there are ones that are based in the community in general, yes. right? So around other people, what things are normal, right? Because you can have a bathroom that is safe, but isn't really clean to community standards. Yeah. And, and so this can go for anything from your lawn outside, which is obviously going to uh, be very visible to your literal community of people living in the same area as you but then also how does your house present itself when you have guests over yeah and we're not saying you need to do the whole rat race or the whole keeping up with the joneses or make sure you mm -hmm. have the nicest this nicest that that's not what we're saying at all no but when you're trying to figure out what the minimum community standard is for your family this is a helpful question to ask yeah. right what level of cleanliness do we need to have in order to have p other people feel comfortable in our home? 
Yes. And this is something that changed a lot for us, okay? Because again, like we were, we were never. I, I talk, I talk us down a lot on here, but we were never slovenly, okay? No. Like we just weren't particularly clean, right? We were just messy. There would be water glasses and coffee cups all over the apartment and the laundry that wasn't folded from five days ago, right? Yeah. But once we got a good cleaning routine and in, in rotation, we found that people came over to our house a lot more. Yeah. Because we were able to have them over. When they came over, they felt more comfortable because I didn't have to pick up things for them to, like, you know, have a space to just lounge around. Like, oh, dear, just one second, I've got, like, bras hanging on the drying rack in the living room. It's just nice to be able to walk into someone's house and feel like you're honestly not an imposition. Yeah, and and this is something that I never used to understand when I was younger, you know, living with my parents and uh, we would have a guest or a family member coming over in my mom would be like okay guys you know we should get this house clean get it presentable and I never really understood that until you know we I moved out and started living with Rebecca and we had to figure these things out for ourselves and at that point you know going over to other people's houses at the same age as me and realizing when you go to someone's house and it is not at what I would call that minimum acceptable level of cleanliness and tidiness and organization for having guests over you do not tend to feel as welcome you don't feel like any preparation or time or thought was put into the fact that you are going to be over there so you feel more like you are intruding and you feel more uncomfortable and it's not as pleasant an experience just a little bit of tidying and organization before someone comes over makes a huge difference. Yeah, like we're literally talking minimum community standard here. Mm-hmm. Like when we when I'm saying that we were tidy, we're not saying that there were never dishes on the counter. What we're just saying is that like there was a place to eat. Yeah, there was a place to eat. <laughs> if I had if I had someone sitting on my couch, they'd have space to set their glass on the coffee side table. Yeah, the there wasn't there wasn't the baby's laundry scattered all over the living room. Like yeah. there, like it was in a laundry basket. I mean, it should have been in his nursery, but yeah. it never was. Right. So we're not saying again that your standards need to be extreme. What we're just saying is. Figure out together what is the minimum for certain things. Yeah, your guests shouldn't have to move around garbage or laundry in order to move about in your home. Yeah, and so these are the kinds of things that can help you just in that conversation, okay? Mm-hmm. So this none of this is supposed to be adding more to the mental load or emotional labor. What it is is to kind of help you as a couple figure out what your minimum standard is. These are the kinds of things you can talk about, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the frequency of how often things need to be kept clean, a really, really helpful tool to figure out what a minimum community standard is is simply to Google chores lists. Yeah. Again, this is what we've done, and we're going to talk about that later in another podcast, our specific system, because we've tried so many things and we found one that finally actually works consistently, mm-hmm. and so we're going to be talking about that later. But what we just simply did was go on Google and say, chores list printout, yeah. and I found one, I put it into Excel, I added a few extra things for us and took out some that don't apply to us, yeah. and we put it on the fridge, you know? Because looking at a couple of chores lists online can give you a really good indication of what should be, uh, like, what is in general a weekly task? What is yeah. a daily task? Yeah, so if you're mad at your wife because she's like, you haven't changed the sheets in two weeks. That's ridiculous. And you're like, well, why should I change the sheets in two weeks? They don't smell yet. But then you look online, like, oh, most people change their sheets every week at least. 
Mm-hmm. That can help make it clear, okay, I do need to change the sheets every week, and my wife is not being ridiculous here. Because to get back to that point that you were saying originally, and to the point of this whole series that we're doing this month, this isn't about putting more work on either of your plates. No. This is about reducing mental load, and the way that you do that is by being on the same page. Yes. When you have that minimum acceptable community standard, what that means is that you both have a clear understanding of what needs to be done at the minimum, which makes it a lot easier to entrust a task to your spouse because you know that they know what has to get done at the minimum. For example, with the dishes thing, if you can trust that your spouse is going to clean those dishes to a state where you feel comfortable eating off of them, great. If you don't have that trust, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you have babies and part of that is cleaning the baby mm-hmm. bottles. Right? Yeah. That's a big one. Is a lot of moms say like, I mean, he wants to do dishes, but he always forgets to rinse out the baby bottles. And so then they always have a smell. And I don't think I can give the newborn formula in that. And it's like, well, no, you can't. Because he's not living up. Because he's not working up to minimum community standards. Yeah. And when you communicate with one another about what your minimum community standards are and why they are that way... It can also help your spouse understand what kinds of thoughts need to go into whether they've done a good enough job or what they need to do. Like with, you know, doing the baby's stuff, the baby's bib, the baby's spoon, all of those sorts of things. When you set out, doing the dishes involves doing these in a fresh sink as opposed to doing these after the lasagna pan. Yeah. That helps the, That helps with the understanding that yeah, I need to think about the order that I'm doing these things in because the baby's stuff needs to be a lot cleaner and that's not going to happen with a dirtier sink. Yes, exactly. Okay, so we've talked about the basic safety measures of community standards. We've also talked about the literal community side of minimum community standards where it's what allows you to be like hospitable and what helps other people feel comfortable. Again, we're not looking at what other people are expecting because we don't want to live up to the shoulds of other people. It's Mm -hmm. just about what allows you to have community that is good and comfortable, right? And then there's the final one, which is what is the community standard for your family, right? So the general community you are in may not take piano seriously, okay? But in your family, music is really important. Yeah. So even if your kids don't have a single friend who takes piano lessons, for you, that might be really important. And that is still valid. If that is a value you as your family have made, that is great. You know, that's going to be a big one for us. By the time Alex is three or four, I want him in piano lessons or me teaching him stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's really important to me that my kids do music. Because I did it. I did my grade eight and I was able to actually have a part-time job teaching piano when I was in high school. Additionally, it's helped me actually be part of ministry because I can be on the worship team in multiple different facets since I have a lot of different instruments I can play. Mm -hmm. And I know so much about music. I can transpose. I can bring songs together. I can figure out which ones are best to kind of lead in and lead out of. It, it, it's just a skill that I really want my kids to have too. Yeah, and for me, learning music and learning piano at a young age really helped me with when I got very serious into dance. Yeah, both of us come from very musical backgrounds. Yeah. And so for us, this is a really, really big deal. And so the minimum community standards for our family may be higher than for another family. But that's because our family has a value 
that we have decided we want to pursue. We want to value music. Yeah, because there is nothing wrong and actually quite a bit great about having family values. Yes, you need to have things where you as a couple decide this is important to us. Mm -hmm. Even if it's more important to us than it is to other people, right? For instance, uh, we moved into a house where the previous owners had an urban farm in the backyard. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is so not a value for us. We <laughs> wish we were the kind of people who could grow all our own food. Okay? We appreciate the time and effort and thought that went into it. Yeah. But... Just yesterday, I rototilled the whole patch, and we're turning it into grass. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because not every family needs to have the same values, right? Yeah, and, my, and our values are, I want to have a nice big yard that our kids can play soccer in. Exactly. And so, for instance, for the previous family who lived here, gardening, huge family value. For us, not so much. But for us, maybe <laughs> we'll have piano as a higher one, yes. right? So, like, so these are things that you need to discuss together. But the thing is this. Once you've discussed what your family values are... Both spouses need to take ownership of it. Mm -hmm. So now, obviously, you might hand like the, the piano practicing card maybe to one spouse. But if both of you decide you want your kids to take piano, then if one spouse is gone for a day, the other spouse kind of needs to pick that up yeah. and think about it. Because let's, let's go back to that Sandra and Mark story from the very first emotional labor uh, mental love post that we had, right? So Mark has been noticing that Sandra's super stressed lately and says, sweetie, you go take a day off. You just go out, meet up with some girlfriends, get some coffee, go shopping, do whatever you want to do, you know, get your nails done, whatever helps you relax. I got the kids. I got this. And she says, wow, wonderful. Thank you. She goes, she comes back, and then all these things that were supposed to have gotten done were left undone because he just didn't think about it. Because even though as a family these things were important, he still didn't see it as his responsibility. So this yeah. is why the minimum community standards need to be discussed. Because then both spouses know, okay, if Jeannie doesn't practice piano, that's a bad thing. Yes. And that is on the person who was in charge of Jeannie. <laughs> right? So if that couple had simply said, Jeannie has a recital coming up. So she needs to practice for an hour a day, every single day. What would have happened? And so this is why those minimum community standards can be so helpful. Because then when you leave for the day to have a relaxing day, you know that when you come back, you aren't going to have to play catch up because you took time off. And this is what's so hard for so many women is often they're given time off, right? Quote unquote, mm -hmm. time off. But they come back and it feels like it's even worse than if they hadn't left at all. Because you don't get to take a psychological time out yeah you don't feel that you're actually free in your head from the things that needed to get done yeah it's just that you had to do them later you were just borrowing time from yourself mm -hmm. and so this is why minimum community standards are so important because if mark in that story and again we're going to link to this post in the podcast links in case you haven't read it yet but if mark had understood the minimum community standards it would have been clear what he was supposed to do and he could have taken ownership of it and she could have gone off to have her day off understanding that he knew the expectations. And honestly, she could have had the kind of day that Mark was trying to give his wife. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. He just didn't quite get this. Yeah. So it's not always that your spouse is being ridiculous. Sometimes it's just that you both don't understand what the minimum standards are, right? Like if you ask someone to clean the bathroom, you aren't just saying scrub the toilet. Yeah. You're saying also check out, make sure that there's no dust on the light switch and... Get the toothpaste spatters off the mirror. Exactly. There's all these little things that go into it. 
Now, what about when your spouse actually is asking for too much? Yeah, and now this could present in a number of different ways. You know, it could be that they're making totally unreasonable demands, or it could just be that they like things to be at a very high, high, high standard. And you talk and you discuss and you come to an agreement together that the way one person likes things to be isn't always necessary. We actually have done this and it's been about the bed. Okay, yes. so making the bed. <laughs> yes, because so for me, I always thought I don't really get the point of making the bed because when I get out of the bed, I generally leave it pretty unmangled. So it's fairly easy to just get right back into the bed yes, Connor, at nighttime. You know, um, it's, it's, it's what's easy. It's what's functional. Yes, Connor tends to sleep in one position. He kind mm -hmm. of lies down and stays there. And if I need to roll, I shift the covers over top of me as I do so, so nothing is disturbed. Yeah, I wrestle a bear or something. Mm -hmm. every night like it's terrible all of the <laughs> all of the covers are inside out and like there have been times like the covers outside of the duvet cover when we had a duvet cover like i i destroy that thing right yeah. so <laughs> i'll somehow be on my side just barely clinging onto the scrap of the corner of the bottom of the bed sheet yes exactly so I like to make the bed really pretty every morning or every day. I like to do that. Mm -hmm. And the way I like to do it often means you have to remove throw pillows, fold down <laughs> one blanket, put some pillows back on so you can get completely underneath of all of the blankets. And Connor just found it absolutely ridiculous. And he pretty much said, okay, I accept that making the bed is a minimum community standard. Yes, I understand it's important to you. I understand it looks good. And when we have guests over... I like for the bed to be made because yes. it makes our bedroom a lot more pleasant to look into. And you even accepted that throw pillows are a part of the minimum community standards for us. Yes. Yes, oh? But what he didn't accept is that he had to do the blankets the exact same way that I did. Because I do not think that I should put extra time and effort into making the bed in such a way that <laughs> it will take even more time and effort to Good. get back into the bed. <laughs> exactly. I don't accept it. And so this is an example of how I had a community standard that was frankly too high. And then he said, okay, I will do the minimum and you have to be okay with that. And the minimum still looked really good. And so I was like, that is acceptable. I still prefer it the other way, but that is acceptable. And so I'm just going to let you do that and not make a fuss. And now every time she gets into the bed, after we've made the bed in my way, Okay. <laughs> it's so easy okay. and quick. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> but here's an example from um, one of my friends growing up. So one of my friends growing up, she and her little sister, their mom was very, very specific about how the towels need to be folded. Mm. Okay? Like really specific. Like we're talking cruise ship level of towel folding. Okay? And at some point, the kids, when they were like 14 and 16, they were like, Mom. We are happy to do the laundry. Yeah, gotta let us fold the towels our own way. <laughs> like, it was it was ridiculous, okay? It really was. And so they said, we will do the laundry. We will do our chores. This is not the issue. The issue is that you are making us do chores in a way that's going to make them take three times as long. And that is frankly ridiculous and doesn't really have any reason other than your own personal preference. And so we don't think it's fair. And her mom decided, you know right, what, you are completely right. It is not fair. And so because I really care about this, though, I'm just going to do all the laundry myself. 
Right. And so if I had talked to Connor and said, you know what, I actually really like the blankets being, you know, put on the bed this specific way, and so I'm just going to make the bed every single morning, that would have been the appropriate response. Because whenever you have a community standard that's just, frankly, it's, it's a little too high, okay? Like, it's just, it's just too much. Mm-hmm. The person who cares about it should be the one who does it. They should take ownership for the additional level of care that goes into that task. Exactly. Now, of course, remember, this is coming after you said, if someone thinks that the reason, the way you know you need to clean the kitchen is when your shoes are sticking to the floor, mm-hmm. their responsibility is to come up to the minimum yeah. standard. But yeah. once you've established what a healthy minimum standard is, and again, going online is a great way to do this. Yes. Anyone who wants more than that, I do think it's fair to ask them to take that on. For instance, one woman commented saying that her husband um, works outside the home, right? And she's a stay-at-home mom, and she just is having such a hard time with the uh, mental load of finding new meals because he hates repeating meals. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't like really ever having the same meal twice. Right. So it always has to be slightly different. That is so high above minimum community standards. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think the average family probably rotates between, what, like 10 to 20 meals if you're, like, a super Pinterest mom with, like, 20 meals? Yeah, that, that's what I see as being generally the the high variety rotation is 20 meals yeah. uh, across. And yeah, so, and so if the husband really cares that he doesn't repeat meals, then you say, okay, well, then you need to make dinner. Mm-hmm. Like, I am willing to have, like, you know... 10 to 15 meals that we rotate through for dinners and that is perfectly acceptable in fact back when you look at like the archetype of the 50s 60s housewife they only often had like 10 meals that they knew how to make Mm -hmm. and only had like seven or eight that they actually made with any regularity yeah so like the epitome of the housewife did not worry about meal repetition because they just did okay so if so in those kinds of situations, if there is something being asked of you that is just a really, really ridiculous ask or is just too much to handle, but it really matters to your spouse, I, it's okay to say, you know, I'm willing to do what is acceptable and what is good, um, but I'm not, I'm not willing to do more because I just can't. Yeah. And so if you want more, that's awesome, but you've got to do it. Yeah. And you know what? From time to time, as a treat, uh, you know, for Mother's Day or Father's Day or just just to show your spouse a lot of love, you can go ahead and put in that extra care and extra effort to yeah. do things that way. That can be very, very nice. Yeah. But that isn't part of your mental load. That isn't a responsibility. Exactly. And I think that having these conversations to make it clear what is acceptable, what is necessary, and then everything else is just gravy is really helpful because like what you were saying, it helps you appreciate what your spouse is doing for Mm -hmm. one. Like you actually think about, oh, there's a lot of thought that goes into these little tasks. And it also allows you to trust your spouse because I know that if Connor says I'm going to go make the bed, I know that, you know, my nice pillows are still going to be on the bed. Yes. And I'm still going to feel nice when I go and just lie there and, you know, I don't know, watch Netflix at night or something. It's going to be cozy. And she won't have to lie there on top of the covers. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm not that ridiculous how I like to make the bed. No. (laughs) But these kinds of things are so helpful just for trust, for the relationship, and for the feelings of stress and overwhelm that can come around when all the mental load is on one person's shoulders and the expectations are a little too high. 
Thanks, guys. Always fun to hear from you. And now we have some reader questions that I'd like to delve into. On the blog, we've been doing some practical things, looking at how to set those standards, looking at how to have some conversations. I've been talking about the book Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, which has a series of cards. There's a hundred cards of all the tasks that uh, can go into running a household and you can play a game where you divide up those cards. They don't need to be 50-50 either. Um, what she's found is that when one person takes at least 21, the other person feels like it's fair. And we'll be talking more um, in the month about how to split those cards, what's the best way to do it, how to figure out some of those daily grind tasks and all that. So we're trying to get super practical on the blog. And a lot of people have said that, you know, their husband is really, really, great, um, but he just doesn't always see things first. And so we've been talking about that issue. But then I have a number of women whose problems go far deeper. And so if your husband is awesome, and uh, but, but you just need different ways of talking about it, then I think the blog posts really will help you with that. But on the podcast, I just want to take some time to look at the other side of the story when a husband really isn't being engaged and when she truly does bear everything and he doesn't seem to care. And we have a number of comments that have come through this week about that. And I want to read some of them as well as some emails and uh, help us sort out some of this stuff. So and so here's the first woman and I'm going to read two different comments from her that she left. Okay, so the first one is this. With regard to chores, how do you deal with a perfectionist? My husband complains about the yard or patio every single time he goes outside. We fixed it up nicely this spring, but he still complains. I don't have the energy to sweep the patio daily and weed the driveway cracks, etc. So I mostly just tell him to do it himself. I always feel like he holds me to a higher standard and nothing is good enough, not just with me, but with our kid's behavior, with his work, with everything. Nothing is good enough for a perfectionist. I mostly let it roll off my back because I'm used to it and he is hardest on himself and I know that, but sometimes it bothers me, like about the yard. And then she also said this, any household paperwork is my job. We hired an accountant for taxes, but my husband is still asking me for paperwork that he has for the taxes, so taxes haven't been done. Finding a plumber when we have a leaky faucet? That's on me to research. He mows the grass, but it's been on me to find someone to do yard work when he can't do it. Basically, the mental load of running the house is all on me. We need a new sink and he keeps telling me to pick a sink because he doesn't want to get the wrong one. I even remind him to pay himself because he is self-employed. I struggle with mental load a lot and can't say anything about it because he has too many clients and too much work to share in the household mental load. I meal plan and make the grocery list, but he does the shopping because I almost passed out after grocery shopping when about six weeks postpartum with my third kid. I had taken all three kids with me and it was too much. When he saw that, he said he would do the groceries from then on. All right. So I do have some concerns about this woman. I think that no wife should be going to do the grocery shopping at six weeks postpartum with three children. And I'm glad he realizes that's a problem now, but I wish he had realized that earlier. And there are some things here that, that I do worry about. But I want to comment first on one sentence she said. She says, I struggle with mental load a lot, but I can't say anything about it because he has too many clients and too much work to share in the household mental load. And this is what I hear from a lot of women and from a lot of men. You know, men will say, look, my job is really stressful. So when I come home, I need it to be a haven. I need to not have to worry about things when I come home. Or he works so hard, he has too much to worry about. I can't put this on him as well. 
there is a difference between work mental load and home mental load. And there's a difference between stress at work and stress at home. And just because someone has stress at work or has mental load at work does not mean that they therefore do not have any responsibilities in the home. And I think we need to think through this differently. My husband has a very stressful job. He's a pediatrician and in Canada, I know in the US pediatrician tends to mean like well baby checks when they get to hold smiley babies all day. But in Canada, especially in community hospitals, it's actually quite a high level emergency job where you do a lot of resuscitations, you do a lot of preemies and you get called in for the hard stuff in the eMERGE. So he does a lot of like ICU care level stuff. And so this is a stressful job. But that doesn't mean that he's not supposed to be involved at home. And it doesn't mean that he gets to come home and do nothing. Okay. When my kids were very young and Keith was in his residency at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, he was working 110, 120 hours a week because he was so often on call there. And when he came home, I did not want him to do housework. And so I did all the housework, no problem. And I looked after all the finances. But when he came home, he was very involved with the children because children are not a chore. Children are a relationship. And husbands need to be involved with their kids no matter how busy they are at work. They need to be there and they need to be there for the daily things. Like they need to be there bathing the kids. They need to be there feeding the kids. (laughs) They need to do the bedtime routines. Um, Not all the time, but a lot of the time because kids need to have a relationship with their dad. And so just because he's busy at work does not mean that he doesn't do anything with the kids. But there's another element, which is this. The problem with mental load, when you carry all the mental load for the household, and by mental load, I'm not just talking about housework. I'm talking about things like picking the sink and figuring out who to call to do the yard work and figuring out the taxes and calling the accountant and making sure everyone goes to doctor's appointments and figuring out what we're going to do for the birthday party and realizing we're volunteering for the potluck at church on Sunday. So we need to make a meal beforehand and getting all the kids lunches ready for um, school and remembering that on Friday is green day when kids are supposed to come to school wearing green. And so I need to remember that and make sure that all the green stuff is washed and making sure the hockey equipment is clean and making sure that we know where the soccer cleats are like all of that stuff so it's not just housework it's keeping track of everything that goes into all these kids lives and the problem is that when women hold all of it we never have any downtime and that's chronic stress rebecca talked last week about the difference between chronic stress and acute stress he may have more acute stress at his job but Chronic stress from holding all of this stuff all the time and being afraid you're going to drop it does matter and it does take its toll. When you have chronic stress like that, when you're holding all of the household details and everything is on your shoulders, it means you never have true downtime. Like I said in the story of Sandra and Mark that I told on the blog to open up this whole uh, this whole series, you know, she took a Saturday morning off and it ended up adding to her work and it actually made things worse because her husband didn't understand the things that should have been done that Saturday morning. So he had a great time with the kids, but he didn't actually handle her mental load and it just simply all got shoved into a two hour period instead of a six hour period. And so it didn't necessarily help and she felt guilty about that and he felt badly about that and it was just all a big blow up. So how do we handle that better? We have to make sure that each person 
has time for self-care and has time where they honestly have nothing to do. The difference when she takes on all of these daily grind tasks and all this mental load is that she often has no time where she can just sit and do nothing. What, what uh, studies have found is that men who are very involved in household work often do the stuff that they can do on their own time. So you can mow the lawn whenever you want. You can change the oil. You know, you can do that at whatever time you want. It, it doesn't have to be done right now. And so men tend to have more time where they can just sit and do nothing, whereas a lot of women don't. And so when we're talking about balancing the mental load, what we're asking for is just so that women have time to sit and do nothing as well and and not have all of this stuff to worry about. And so even a guy with a really stressful job still needs to be involved in the family because he did get married. He does have a relationship. He is a father. <laughs> and you can't completely check out of your home life just because your work life is stressful. Certainly, you may not have to do as much but you still have to be involved and you still have to understand and unless you're carrying some of the mental load, maybe it's just you're the one who decides, hey, I'm going to be the one who's going to pick birthday presents for all the kids and I'm going to be the one who worries about, you know, Christmas presents. Maybe it's just that, but at least you've got that and then you're building into relationships. I work from home too. I have a lot of things that I'm carrying for the blog. I'm an employer. I have a lot of employees. And what I've had to do is say, okay, every night um, by five, I am switched off. I don't do any work at night and I tend not to do any work on the weekends. Those of you who follow my blog may find that I don't participate in the comments on the weekends. I'm very rarely in the comment section on the blog on the weekends because I need my mental space too. And for people with stressful jobs, they especially need to switch off That doesn't mean that I'm not involved in the household, though. That doesn't mean that I do nothing on weekends or in the evenings. That's when I connect with my husband. Um, That's when I do more of the housework. Uh, I always cook at night. And so you can still have mental load from the house at night. So I just want to say that because I think we often feel like, well, he works so hard during the day, he needs time off. And that might very well be true. But chronic stress from dealing with all the details of the family is also vitally important. And just because you may not have the same stressful job he does, you may still be under the same amount of stress. And so you need some time off as well. And that's really what we're talking about this week. Very important. Now, Let's have another talk about standards, which was the, the topic of Monday's co- Monday's post is how do we set minimum community standards? Um, and Beck and Connor talked about that a little bit as well. But he's saying, for instance, that he doesn't like the patio. So he feels like she doesn't keep up the patio well. And he and that really bothers him. And it bothers her that he's always harping on about it. So what do you do when you have a perfectionist and they have higher standards than you do? Here's two things I said on Monday, and I'm just going to read from the post. Again, I'll put a link to it in the podcast description. Question, if someone insists on higher than the minimum community standards, they should own the task. 
if someone insists that the towels absolutely must be folded in half and then in thirds or that fitted sheets must be folded in such a way that you can't tell they're fitted sheets but they must look like flat sheets then that person should likely be responsible for the laundry if someone absolutely insists on different meals every night then that person should likely do the meal planning grocery shopping and cooking so if someone insists on standards that are higher than the average person in your community in your group would have then they should own that task. It's not fair for them to put their own super high standards on you. And we, we talked in that post about how to figure out what appropriate minimum standards are. And you can take a look at that post to see. Um, I talked, for instance, about I gave the example of, of lawns in my neighborhood. The minimum community standard for that would be that you have to keep the the lawn mowed, but it's okay if it gets a little bit long. It's okay if you have a few dandelions. It's not okay if dandelions have overrun your lawn and you don't need to have annuals or perennials, but it's nice if you do. Right. So minimum standards would be mow your lawn at least once a week when in the rainy season and keep the dandelions to a minimum. But that's really all you have to do. You don't have to have a perfectly manicured lawn with tons of flowers. So if somebody wants a perfectly manicured lawn with tons of flowers, they should be the one who's responsible for that. Okay, so, you know, let's let's figure out what the minimum community standard is. And if they want more then they should have to do it. Here's another thing. You should not expect your spouse to perform to a standard that you are not willing to perform to. And one person left this comment. My ex, after a couple of years of expecting me to do everything to his standards with two kids under three, one day said, I guess I just need to lower my standards and do it myself. That told me a couple of things. One, his standards were too high to judge his own efforts, but not mine. And two, I wasn't good enough. And here's what I concluded. If doing it yourself would require you to lower your standards, then your standards are likely too high. If you are expecting your spouse to do it to a higher standard than you would do it, then you are expecting too much. (laughs) So if he is expecting her to do more on this lawn patio than she is willing to do, then it's okay for her to say something like, I can see that you're unhappy with how I'm keeping the patio and I don't seem to be able to keep it to your standards. So I'm going to stop looking after the patio and I will let you take the patio over and then just do that. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of this podcast is how do we actually negotiate these things? My first recommendation is that you sit down and you have a big conversation. And I think the fair play cards are a great way to do that. But if that doesn't work, then we need to figure out how to set boundaries and how to set consequences. So I want to do that with reading a couple of other comments. Before I get to those two other reader questions, I just want to do a shout out for my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. If you're having a difficult time figuring out how to talk to your spouse about these things, if you just feel like you're really downtrodden and you're really at the at the end of your rope and you don't know what to do and you try to bring stuff up and and he just doesn't seem to listen, then please check out that book because it can help you think about marriage in a different way and help you see that you are important and we can negotiate this well and give you some principles to try to find the win-win so that you don't feel like you're always in opposition to one another. So check that out. And now I just want to read two other questions that came in about this whole idea of mental load. So our first woman said, 
I have tried on numerous occasions to get my teenage children and spouse to take on responsibility for certain tasks after discussion about what they preferred from my list of stuff that needs to be done regularly. It's the mental load of noticing and reminding that gets tedious. I find my son is very good doing specific tasks when asked to. I haven't been totally successful, but now that my kids are getting ready to leave home and go off to college and with all of us stuck in the house together since lockdown, it's starting to get more shared out, especially in terms of cooking meals and cleaning up. My husband doesn't cook though, and recently my daughter has been noticing more how infrequently he will get up and clear dishes after family meals. It's gotten to be a bit of a joke. However, when she has cooked the evening meal, he has taken the lead to say that she shouldn't have to wash up because she cooked. Different rules for wives and daughters. He is a good man, but just not great at noticing stuff. Not good at doing a task very thoroughly once he has got started, though, and gets frustrated if I mention other things to do before he is finished. Oops, I think that may be a male trait. All right, so what she's saying is she's been trying to get her kids to do stuff, and they really haven't, although COVID has helped because they're all indoors, which, okay, silver lining and everything. Um, But how do you get your kids to do it without being reminded? Because if you have to remind them, then the mental load is still on you. And this is what so many women said. They don't want to have to make lists. They don't want to have to keep reminding people. And next week, we'll be talking about the problem of nagging, like why husbands and kids feel like moms nag all the time. And it's because only we know what has to be done. And so we have to keep reminding them because nobody else sees it. Like, why don't they just see it? And that's what this mom is saying. So what I would say is that it isn't enough to just assign tasks. You have to get them to own the tasks. And it's great that they sat down and they talked about her list of stuff that needs to get done. I think the fair play cards, and I will put um, a link to the fair play cards in the podcast post that goes along with this podcast. It's those hundred cards that Eve Rodsky says. It's just sort of a fun game of laying out, here's all the things that I'm responsible for. And when you hand out the cards, the big thing, and this is what we talked about last week too, is that they are not only responsible for execution. When you take a card, you're responsible for the whole thing, which means conception, planning, and execution. So you need to think about when it needs to be done. You need to remind yourself to do it. You need to get it done. Um, So it's not just executing the task. It's realizing the task is on my shoulders and I need to remember and I need to plan everything that goes into it. So when it comes to kids, let's say that your kids own cleaning the bathroom, but they and they do it okay, but only when you constantly remind them. Well, if you want them to own it, then they need to understand they have to own it. And that often only comes with consequences. So what I like to say is, you know, as part of the family, there are benefits to being part of the family, but there's also responsibilities for being part of the family. And as a family, we own this house. As a family, we own the Wi-Fi. As a family, you know, we as parents pay for all kinds of things that go into the house that you benefit from being here. Um, But part of your responsibility as being part of the family is that you need to do your part in cleaning and in cooking. And then if kids don't do that, then they don't get to enjoy all the benefits of being in the family. If they don't work for the family, they don't get some of the benefits of the family. And it might be good to make a list of what some of those benefits are like (laughs) wi-fi that's a huge one for kids um like if you're paying for their cell phones then their cell phones uh that's on you you can remove cell phones if you want you can remove data plans from their cell phones um but it's not hard to change the wi-fi password you know figure out from yourself from your wi-fi provider how to change the wi-fi password and then 
if they don't do their chores, you just take away the Wi-Fi password. You do that enough times, they will remember to do their chores. But I think that's something important that kids need to, to understand is it's not just about doing the task. The reason that I want you to do it is so that it is out of my mind because otherwise you're not really helping me, <laughs> okay? You're only helping me if you're truly owning it. And what I often suggest is that the consequences to not doing things, they can't take more work on your part. And so if you have to institute a big grounding or something where you have to supervise them, like that's not going to help. Now, no one has to do grounding during COVID. We're all grounded. But what you can do is you can remove the Wi-Fi password. You know, you can take away cell phones. You can take away video game privileges. You can take away all of that stuff. So if they're not participating in the family, then they don't get the benefits of being in the family. And as for the husband, you know, if, if the daughter is noticing it, I think it is perfectly okay to say at the dinner table, uh, you find it difficult that he believes that if the family, if someone else makes the dinner, they should not have to clean up. And yet it's okay for him that you clean up and say it with the teenage kids there. I think it's important that teenagers hear you working this stuff out together and they will probably be on your side as well. And just simply say, do you think if I made the dinner, then I should not have to clean up? Do you agree with that? Then how about if you help the kids clean up tonight? I would really appreciate that, honey. And just say that at the time, instead of stewing about this later, like we need to speak up at the time and realize what you're worth. If that is a rule for the kids that they do not have to clean up if they make dinner, dinner, then it should also be a rule for you. And it's okay to speak that out loud, especially as your kids are teens and especially to your husband. And you know, if you put it on your kids, like, hey, guys, you know, everybody helps clean up when you make dinner. So when I make dinner, you could ask your dad to help clean up as well. <laughs> like that can be on your kids and your kids may be more than willing to ask dad to help clean up too. Um, so I would do the fair play game with the teenagers and the husband and talk about that concept of conception planning and execution. Because you are worth something and people will treat you the way that you allow them to treat you. And so if you continue to clean up and not insist on something else, they're going to keep doing that. People like the path of least resistance. So speak up. You can do it in a loving way. You can say things like, you know, hon, when our son gets married, I want to make sure that he has a great marriage. And so that means we need to show him how to care for his wife. And the example that we are setting is what he is going to expect as normal. So do you think it's proper for him to just sit down and let his wife clean up? Because you obviously don't think it's proper for your daughter to have to clean up after she's made dinner and yet you're teaching that that's what's normal in marriage so can we set a different standard for our for our son or you can tell him you know I want our daughter to marry someone who's going to be a real partner with her and who isn't going to expect her to clean up after him but what are we showing our daughter is proper and what are we teaching our daughter to expect and have those conversations and maybe that'll change it okay here is one more email um, from another woman who has a lot to deal with. And she says this, so my husband and I both work full time and I was just promoted to manager for a busy office. I have always handled all the bills and the kids. 
doctors, dentists, schools, daycare, etc. But since being promoted, I have been working late hours. He gets off at 3 and gets kids from school, and I usually don't get home till 6.30, give or take. Then I have to help with homework and clean up and get them ready for bed, and then get up at 5.45 to make lunches and get kids ready for school and do it all over again. On weekends, he sleeps in, and I get up and make breakfast and clean up, and he wakes up and just sits on the couch. I am losing my mind. I feel it is unfair, especially if we have a birthday party or something to go to, and he won't because he says, well, I'll just stay home. It's like he's a blob here and I'm a single mom. That's so hard and I don't think she's the only one who feels that way. I think a lot of people feel that way. So what do you do if your husband just doesn't see what needs to be done and is quite content to let you do all of the work and thinks that it's okay for him to do nothing on weekends or thinks that it's okay for you to work all night and then get up at 545? This is where you really do have to have those conversations. Fair play is a great way to do it. If you get that book, if you get the card system, um, the book talks about how to discuss this in a way that it, it doesn't get his back up, but it's just like, you know, we're a team. Let's get on the team together. Let's figure out how to tackle this stuff together. So I highly recommend that book and the cards. Just a disclaimer, the book does have language in it, not a Christian book. So she does swear a bit, but I think the 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 tactics that she uses and what she discusses is completely in line with healthy marriage and, and emotional health. But I also think there is a point where you can start saying, I am no longer willing to do everything and then follow through on that. Um, if you are staying up doing all of this stuff with the kids and he just isn't doing it and he is sitting on the couch, then it's okay to start saying, I am no longer willing to do everything. Uh, and that may mean that you stop doing some of the things that you've been doing for him just to get things off of your plate. You know, so if you're coming home late and you're still irresponsible for making dinner, um, it's okay to make dinner for your kids to get some really super easy things that they enjoy. Uh, make dinner for your kids, get dinner out on your own, and then he can fend for himself. That's not a nice thing to do. I don't think that's the first line of defense. I think you should always talk about it. But if it does absolutely nothing, it's okay to say to him, I am no longer willing to be treated as if I am the maid when we are married and we are each working full time. And these are our children. And we need to find a different way of doing this. Uh, and, and so start saying that I am no longer willing to keep doing this. And if he refuses to do anything differently, insist on seeing a counselor, um, ask for some mentors to come in and talk to you. You don't need to just put up with this. You really don't. If you are at your breaking point, if you are just building resentment towards him, and so many women are, they are building resentment because it in inherently isn't fair. And this is often the root, by the way, of why so many women don't like sex. Um, <laughs> but, you know, do something before your marriage gets to a breaking point. Um, do it now before you will just want to leave and chuck him all together, okay? But say this has to change. And so get up on a Saturday morning, turn off the TV, whatever he's doing on the couch and saying, um, this is what needs to get done this morning. Here's a list of six things. I will do three. Which three do you want? Uh, and, and be really firm about it. Um, and, and I would try that. And if he just won't listen, see a licensed counselor, uh, talk to his brother, his sister, his mother, whoever you need to, and just say, our marriage is in trouble because he is not living up to his responsibilities and we really need help. Because I think if we were to bring in our community a lot more when our marriage 
was in trouble but not on dire straits yet, then we could perhaps rescue it before it got to be too bad. Um, so those are some comments that were really, really difficult. Most of the comments in this series have not been that difficult, which is wonderful. It's just women trying to name what they're feeling and giving them tools to talk to their husbands about it. And most husbands, when you talk to them about it, are really quite receptive to this. Most guys want to be good guys. And so I've been thrilled to see those comments. But when the comments do come in from women who are married to guys, who actually are quite lazy. I just thought this podcast needed to be dedicated to some of that as well. Um, so take a look at those posts. I think they're really practical that we've written on the emotional labor, mental load. I think they'll really help you. I'm so excited about the posts that are coming up about daily grind, about nagging, um, how to eliminate nagging, because seriously, I hate that word. Um, and I don't think it's accurate anyway, what's going on. Um, but how to eliminate that phenomenon, how to talk about emotional labor, how to talk about doing the emotional labor of kin keeping. That's all coming up too. So check it out on to love, honor, and vacuum.com. Have a great, um, uh, time at home in quarantine with COVID. I hope that this will give you these times to renegotiate how you do the mental load and housework and that we can find a silver lining in all of this. And I will talk to you again next week when we continue our series on mental load. Check it out at tolovehonorandvacuum.com for more. And please remember to leave a five-star review for this podcast wherever you listen to it. It helps other people find it uh, and it helps me out so much. I appreciate you. Talk to you next time. 